Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me again today... As a freshly minted Juris Doctorate is my longtime co-host, Curtis. Curtis, did I get that right? Juris Doctorate, right? Or just Juris Doctorate? Yeah, you did. You got that correct. Uh, Just the Juris Doctorate. I'm not not an MD. Not the MD. Juris. You're a jurist. So, Curtis, from my perspective, just in talking to you over the last three years since you've been in law school, it sounds like it was uh, relatively um, hellish. Maybe is how that, that's the vibe I got from you. But I want to—I don't want to put words in your mouth. How would you sum up this experience now that you are all completely done with it? I'll just say I think it's a marathon. I think that's the biggest thing is uh, how I would describe it because it is so hard. But it's you know you have to do your three years that it's easy to get burnt out. So you have to make sure you pace yourself right. To, um, was it sure as rough yeah. as everyone makes it out to be? You know, I have to say, I think so. And I think that maybe I'm a little biased just because I've, you know, had to try to navigate law school, which is already so hard, but through a global pandemic. This might sound like an obvious question, Curtis, but for those people out there who were not in school, in law school, in college, whatever, during the pandemic, did that really make it a lot more difficult? I think it did because a lot of things changed in the way you took class. Some classes were online and you kind of lost what you were learning. Or you yeah. did, I, in my opinion, I don't feel like you didn't learn the same way or, you know, get everything from it that you would have being in person. Yeah. And I know you told me that year it was pass fail, but you still think it was more difficult because you didn't feel like you were learning it the way that you'd always learned it, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think some professors kind of even themselves chalked it in when they were going pass fail and just not going all oh, out. Oh, just do it in. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on this. We've got a lot of questions to get to today, but... Real quick here, I don't know. I mean, we got a lot of listeners out there, wonderful, wonderful Georgia fans in the Bulldog Nation out there. Any words of advice to any of our maybe college-level students who might be thinking about seeking out the law? Um, do your research before. I think that's the biggest thing is make sure it's what you want to do because it is such a commitment that you have to be fully committed before you make that choice. Yeah, and I know like you have a job lined up and everything, and I, I know you still, you still have to pass a bar exam. Any anxiety over that? Oh, yeah. Probably the worst question of all time, obviously, anxiety over that. Uh, but when it's all said and done, now that you've gone through it, you've got a job lined up, I I'm, have complete confidence in you that you're going to pass the bar exam. Was it worth it? 
you know, to me, it was is something that I wanted for a long time. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad I did it. All right, man. Well, we're definitely proud of you, man. All of us here at the Glory UGA podcast. I don't want to speak for our listeners, but I'm sure our listeners are proud of you as well, man. So uh, congratulations on that. But we do have some questions to get to, Curtis. And look, guys, I know that we just did a mailbag episode last week. And here we are running one again, like back to back. And I know that's not necessarily ideal, but we hadn't done a mailbag in a couple of weeks with all the spring practice going on, or at least I think one in like the last five weeks, something like that. So the questions were kind of piling up, and I want to try to make a little bit more of a dent in those questions. Got to some last Thursday. And I also kind of want to get back on our Monday mailbag swing here. That's kind of what we like to do. So we're just going back to back here for this one week with mailbags. But a lot of great questions to get to, Curtis, man. Let's uh, let's start here. Our question of the day. You know, we like to start with our big picture questions here. This is a fantastic question. And this is from uh, one of our longtime listeners, Justin, who always sends in fantastic questions. Thank you, Justin. Always appreciate it, man. And Justin says that he saw this on Reddit and was curious to get our take. If the 2017 team plays the 2021 Georgia Bulldogs football team, who wins and why? And Kurt, I think we've kind of like danced around this at times over the last year or so, but I don't, as, at least as far as I can remember, I don't think we've addressed it head on like this. So I'll give you the, the honors off the tee box here, Curtis. 2017 Georgia versus 2021 Georgia. One team fell you know, overtime short, one team won. Who wins and why? I'm going with 2021, and I think the biggest thing is like our the offenses are very similar in the fact that they were very complementary, um, maybe more so this year than the past. But I think the biggest thing is is to be the defense in 2021. Our defense is going to take away that 2017 team's offense, and that's because you know kind of what we did this past year. But that was really the crux, especially with the freshman quarterback and Jay Promise. We had to use the run to set up the pass. And that was what we really had to do to get the offense going. Well, with the defense we had, I don't know if we would have been able to get that run game going. Um, the offensive line was good, but it wasn't great. And I just think that with Jordan Davis, the stud defensive line, linebacker play, all those things, I just don't think that the offense would have been – we would have done a, be, a better job of making them play left-handed. And while that probably would be the same – I mean – they, our defense in 2017 was really, really good also, but I don't know if they were good enough to fully make us play left-handed um, being one big thing. And then I also want to throw in, I think, the coaching staff. Um, you know, I'm going to say the 17 staff versus 2021 staff, and that's how I'm going to address it. But I definitely think that um, while Mel Tucker was a great DC, I think the di- the difference in offensive coordinator would also have had a huge uh, difference in the outcome. Oh, 100%. That's a great point, Curtis. I know when we talk about like 20, 2017 versus 2021, you look at the players on the field, but the coaches are there too. You got to factor them, and that certainly matters. And look, Jim Chaney, as we said years and years ago now, feels like years and years ago, I always felt he got more heat than he probably deserved. I think he was a good coordinator, but Todd Munkin is an elite offensive coordinator. It's night and day. It's just a different animal. It's just a different animal, 100%. I'm with you, man. Um, I would take the 2021 team and – I know this might sound blasphemous because we all love those guys from the 2017 team, and they really put us on this track coming off that 2016 year where you know it was a transition year for Kirby and it not, did not go the way we wanted it to. Ended up eight and five that year, but we were able to kind of set the foundation. And those guys coming back, the Chubbs, the Michelles, Bellamy, uh, Lorenzo, all those guys choosing to come back, like they laid the foundation for 2021 to happen. So. Mm-hmm. 
I do. I really not try and take a shot at them. But if I'm being objective, if those two teams are playing, I think the 2021 team wins, Curtis. And honestly, dude, I don't even think it's particularly close. Are you with me on that? I am because I just don't think that they would have been able to move the ball consistently enough on that big team. They may have hit a big play here or there, but definitely we're not going to be able to run the ball well enough to set up the passing game like they would have needed. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying that there weren't good players on the 2020 or the 2017 team. Of course there were. Nick Chubb is an all timer as far as I'm concerned. Sonny Michelle right there with him. Roquan Smith, one of the best defensive players in Georgia history. A hundred percent. There were some really, really good players on that football team. John Dre Swift was on that f- football team. He was a first or not first round draft pick, almost a first round draft pick. So a ton of great players. But Curtis, the twenty twenty one team in, t- in terms of talent, it, it's it's just not even close. It's just not even close. We hadn't even had our first and one recruiting class in, in twenty seventeen. That that came after in twenty eighteen. Again, they laid the foundation. It's it just comes down to talent more than anything. And I told you guys following that loss to Alabama, like like I think I came on here in that recap episode, the most painful episode I've ever done in my life, recapping the loss to Alabama in the two, and I guess the 2018 national championship game, that 2017 season. I told you guys, yeah, this hurts right now, but this is going to be the least talented Georgia team in in the future, as far as Kirby Smart's here, like it on into the future. And I think that's played itself out. 2018 was more talented, 2019, 2020, even with all the injuries, was more talented. And 2021 was, I, I mean, it's pretty clear now, the most talented team that Kirby Smart has had here in Athens. And we've had some very talented teams. So you guys know how big I am on talent. I think talent wins out more often than not. It's not the only element, of course, but you mentioned we had the coaching staff here, Curtis, with, with Todd Muck on the offensive side of things. I think the way we deployed our talent – was more advanced than what we saw in 2017. And you mentioned the matchup too, Kerr. I mean, honestly, that's a great point. Both offenses, you're exactly right. We're built in a similar fashion in terms of having to use the run and set up play action pass, take shots on the field. It was a similar general philosophy offensively. But if you look at the matchup, the 2021 Georgia defense, especially the 2021 rush defense, was far more formidable than the 2017 version. And again, that's not to take a shot at the 2017 team. Team, They were fantastic. They were great against the run. But last year, we gave up 78.8 yards per game in the ground, 2.56 yards per carry. Go to 2017, we gave 126 yards per game in the ground, 3.74 yards per carry. Over a full yard per carry more in 2017 than, 20, than, than 2021. So just comes down to me here, if I'm looking at it, I just don't think the 2017 offense would have been able to move the ball with any sort of consistency, right? It's just that's yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, and like I'm not, and I don't think the 2021 offense would have had a great deal of success against our our 2017 defense. But I just think the way that offense was built in 17, there's just no way they were going to be able to move the ball consistently against our Jordan our, our 2021 defense. I know we had Chubb, I know we had Michelle. Those guys are fantastic. I love them dearly. I will always have a special place for them in my heart. But as dominant as we were up front in that front seven, the defensive line, linebackers, I just don't see how they're going to be able to move the ball. And if you, you know, we saw what happened with Stetson Bennett being forced to throw the ball, you know, 30, 40 times. You could say the exact same thing about Jake Fromm, and he was less mobile than Stetson Bennett. So, yeah, give me the 2021 team. And I think the 2017 team could hang for maybe a half and like keep it close. But I think the 2021 team would pull away in the fourth quarter of that game and win by multiple scores, if you're asking me. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, next question here, Curtis. This one is from Blake. Now, this one in its own right could be a potential question of the day like we have two really good questions here off the bat and this one gets I mean it's obviously Georgia related but it's kind of Georgia adjacent here but Blake asked or he says that he got into a debate with one of his co-workers and he wanted to get our take on it who has the better football program Georgia or Clemson it's an interesting one curse I think coming into 2021 if you would have asked anyone in America that follows college football if you would have asked them this question I think almost unanimously they would have said Clemson. Has that changed for you after we won a national title? I think it has. And it's not just that Georgia has, you know, I mean, yes, we've taken this next step and everything. But right now things are looking bleak for Clemson and the fact that for the first time in a long time they have complete turnover in coordinators. They haven't been recruiting as well. They don't have all these big-name stars that they've had in the past. Um, the roster itself is not filled with all this elite NFL talent like they have in the past. And that's the one reason I say that is while Georgia's take the next step, it feels like Clemson is almost taking a step back realistically. And I don't see that changing um, currently, at least right to, to, you know, getting back on the level they were on before. And I think that's why I'm going to go with Georgia because I think they're built for the stability going forward where it looks like that strong foundation of Clemson, in my opinion, may be crumbling just a little bit. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think if you look at this from like an achievement standpoint, like which team has accomplished more over the past six or seven years, you would say Clemson. I think almost anyone in America would say that. I know Clemson fans, are, we're not going to listen to the show, but if there's a random Clemson fan trying to check out what's going on at, with, with the Georgia Bulldog fan base, they'd probably be screaming their heads off right now saying you're freaking crazy. They'd be cussing me up and down, left and right, whole nine yards. We know that. And that's fine because – Clemson, I mean, Curtis, if we are being objective here, is more accomplished over the past six or seven years than we are. I, I think we have to be objective there. I mean, go 2015 yeah, to 2020. No question, no question about it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, 2015 and 2020, four national championship game appearances, two national titles, both against Alabama and Nick Saban, the greatest coach in the history of college football, six straight ACC conference titles, six straight college football playoff appearances. It's if you're looking at it from like an accomplishment standpoint and a resume standpoint, it's really no contest. And I can see a Clemson fan point that out and just, you know, scoffing at the notion that Georgia is a better program than Clemson. But while that was fantastic success, Curtis, and I said this last summer, 
coming into this season, obviously as we were previewing the Georgia-Clemson matchup there in Charlotte, I've always argued that, yes, clearly Clemson's had fantastic success. I'm never going to take that away from them. But I've always argued there's context to that success. I don't think it's crazy to say that their run would have been quite as extensive if they had played in the SEC instead of the ACC. I don't think that's crazy to say. I think that's actually 100% accurate. I mean, when you play, when you don't have to play like Pitt in Virginia and North Carolina in Virginia Tech in the ACC title game, as opposed to Alabama and historically good LSU team, yeah, you're going to have a much better path, much easier path to end up in the cultural playoff. And when you're in the cultural playoff in a one-off scenario with a, an elite quarterback, a generational talented quarterback and some good players around him, you're going to have a chance to win some national titles. I think if we played in the ACC from 2017 through 2020, we probably would have had another national title before 2021, if you're asking me. But as you were saying, Curtis, you're right. The foundation's kind of crumbling here because what we've seen last year or what we saw last year is that that foundation, that program was built on a house of cards. They hit they hit on two generational quarterbacks, obviously Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. They hit on those guys, and they hit on them back-to-back. So there was there was no separation there. It was a transition from one generational talent to the next, which is very, very rare. And those generational quarterbacks had some really good skill players to play along with them, and then enough elite pieces on defense to dominate a lesser ACC conference. And you mentioned two cars. They always had the coaching continuity, which always helped them. But those things are gone now. Because their overall, even like in those national title years, the overall talent of the Clemson roster was never on par with Bama, Ohio State, even Georgia, those teams of the world. And the Clemson fan doesn't want to admit that, but it never was. It was never on par up and down the roster, the, the 85, the scholarship players. But it was because it was masked by that generational talent at the most important position. But when they missed on quarterback with Uyunga Lule, I thought they hit on him, and I would throw myself in there too but they missed on him, at least based on what we saw last year. And when they miss on the quarterback and they don't have that piece that was holding the whole thing together and you start to lose coordinators, the whole thing fell apart. And I think, Curtis, you were alluding to this. I'm just going to – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you were alluding to this. I think how you answer this question depends on whether you are looking backwards or forwards. Like if you say yeah. who had the better program, you would say Clemson. But who has the better program? I think you can make an extraordinarily strong argument, and I would make that argument, that Georgia has, present tense, and moving forward, the better program. That's exactly where I'm at. If you were, you know, like you mentioned, the last five, six years, yeah, there's no question Clemson has a better resume, had the better program at the time, maybe on paper, you know, record-wise and award-wise. Yes, but if I'm looking at 22 on, I don't know how you can sit here and say currently they have the better program. And, and that's where I'm looking at when, I, when you ask me the, the question, like you said, I think it's who has the better program, not who had. Yes. And, that, and that, that's how I tend to view it too, Curtis. Uh, and it, maybe we're biased because that's, you know, Georgia, looking back at the past, we don't have, like we have a great rich tradition in history, but we don't have the national, we don't have the hardware in the past. But looking forward, we see hardware in the future. So maybe we're biased. That's fine. I, I can own that. But if you look at it from the perspective, again, as you said, who has the best program right now, who is best positioned for success moving into the future? I think it's very clearly the Georgia Bulldogs. Talent is a big thing, guys. You you know that. I just mentioned that earlier. Clemson, guys, has had one top three recruiting class over the last six years. They've only had two top five. I say only, but we're talking about the big boys here. We're talking about the elite programs. Only two top five recruiting classes in the last six years. A couple times, they, I think three times, they finished 10th or lower. All right? 
That's those aren't elite recruiting classes. Those are good recruiting classes. You need to be in the top three consistently. Georgia, on the other hand, has finished in the top three five of the last six years. In the, the year that we did not finish in the top three, we finished number four. That's only because LSU got a, a player late in the cycle and, and jumped us. But when, the, when everyone was doing the, the recruiting rankings, we were number three there. But we've been inside the top five six of the last six years. And in that span of the last six years, two number one overall recruiting classes. So you're talking about who is set up to be the better program moving into the future. Just like I said, I don't think there's much of a question that the 2021 team would, would have beat the 2017 Georgia team. I don't think there's much of a question here that Georgia is situated far better moving into the future from a program standpoint than Clemson. I, I don't honestly, you can, you can argue that point. I know a Clemson fan would, and I don't necessarily think you'd be crazy there. I just think you'd be wrong. I, I think you're clearly wrong if you argue that point. All right, Curtis, let's move on. I think this is an interesting question. I, Curtis, we're getting closer and closer to the point in the offseason where we can actually start to preview the 2022 season. I like actually talk X's and O's, talk teams, opponents, matchups, all those things. We'll get to the scouting enemy stuff here shortly, which I cannot wait for. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time, you know I live and breathe that stuff. It's my favorite thing to do, so I'm getting pumped. We're getting closer, and we're going to get a little bit of a taste of it here with this next question from Grant. Thank you for this question, Grant. I love this stuff. So, uh, Curse, did you see the Spencer Rattler quotes over the weekend? If you're talking about the one where he came out and said it was fake, I have seen that one. Yeah, so that was it was a fake quote, correct? Yeah, or at least that's what he claims, yes. Yes, okay, so he's claiming it's a fake quote. We don't know if it's a fake quote. You know what? Let's just run with it because Grant's got this question. It's going to at least give us a good conversation. So if you guys missed that, what Spencer Rattler allegedly said, he says he didn't, but I, I think they're standing by the quote. I don't know. But he's alleged to have said, quote, this conference, talking about the SEC, this conference is much easier compared to the Big 12. I feel like I can dominate this league next season. So this is Spencer Rattler, the new South Carolina signal caller. So Grant asked, was Spencer Rattler running his mouth over the weekend and us playing in Columbia early in the season it's starting to feel like 2018 all over again. Grant, that was exactly where my mind went to. How bad are we going to beat them in September? Kurt, is it going to be a blowout like it was last time? I don't there? think it's going to be a blowout, but I, I, think, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a good game. You know, I saw just on Paul Feinbaum today, Monday afternoon, where that SEC Mike Twitter guy went oh on there, God, Mike Bratton. Yeah. And tweeted yeah. out or, you know, said his bold picks were that South Carolina's going to beat Georgia. I mean, he's been on this train the last couple of weeks. Right. Um, to me, it kind of feels like maybe like when we play Kentucky right now, like they're a solid team. They're going to keep it somewhat close. It's not going to be like a, a, you know, you're not going to just not, you know, get them to quit right away. Um, but I still see us winning by like 17. So you don't consider 17 a blowout? I mean, well, it depends how it – because you could get a late score and easily be 17 and it'd be like a a two-score game most of the time where at the end you do something to make it a three-score game. I see it being around a two-score game at a minimum, though. I don't see it being more – I think that that South Carolina just – I don't know. They're just – I think everyone loves – everyone's everyone's falling in love with Shane Beamer. It's what it is. Oh, he's he's the he's the flavor of the month. Yeah, it, it, they finished strong. You know, they like no one had ex- it's it's a classic case of like no one had any expectations for you whatsoever, right? No, you had no expectations yeah. whatsoever, and you come in and it really didn't get off to a good start at all. But then you finish strong because you play some teams that basically given up. You play Florida, who had given up. You play Auburn, who was 
had was dealing with major injuries, was a train wreck down the stretch. And then you play a real team. I mean, actually, Clemson was like hardly even a real team, and Clemson handled them with relative ease. But they won enough games against, I guess you could say, name programs or big time. Do, do we want to call Florida and Auburn big time SEC programs? Curse, I don't. They aren't right now, but at least not last their year. Not on, not on last year's standards. Yeah, they're not. But like their brands, their teams that have won national titles within the past like 15, 20 years, right? So, or like it's yeah. less. Yeah, about fifteen. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah, we'll say. 15 years. So they're brandish names. We'll go with that. And so when you beat those kind of teams and don't have any expectations, you make a bowl game and you beat a North Carolina team that was that really woefully underperformed last year. All of a sudden now Shane Beamer, young Shane Beamer is the, is the next hot name on the block. And you know what? He did do a good job. I'm not going to say that he did, a, you know, I'm not going to try to take too much away from him. He did a good solid job, but let's also put in context and, and let's, Look at who they actually beat and when they beat them in the situation around those teams when they won those games. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying there. But you're right. They're, everyone's hyped on Shane Beamer, and then they get the big transfer from Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler, who got beat out, um, who's had his fans chanting for his backup quarterback in games last year, which, you know, that's that's kind of a low blow, but that's kind of – that's who he was last year, Curtis. He was not good. Is that fair to say he was just not good at Oklahoma? Oh, yeah, there's no question about it. And those defenses outside of Baylor are not anywhere close to what he's going to be facing on a consistent basis and the speed-wise. Yeah, 100%. And, look, I, I think Spencer Rattler is a good, competent quarterback. He is certainly far better than anything they had last year at that position. Zero doubt about that. So there's an upgrade at quarterback. But let's just slow the let, – let's slow our roll a little bit when we're talking about, well, South Carolina's got Spencer Rattler Well, especially Rattler now. Spencer Rattler had all these, like, great Oklahoma receivers at his disposal and still, like, yeah. struggled mightily. And was in what people widely consider to be the most prolific offense in the country in terms of, like, the scheme, right, with Lincoln Riley. And he struggled. Yeah. But people look at it and say, oh, well, he's a former five-star. People, you know, people get stuck on these things sometimes. He's former five-stars. That means he's got to be good. It's just, you know, it's a bad situation. Maybe, but maybe he's just not really a five-star. You know, like sometimes that happens. You know, sometimes the recruit services miss on guys and uh, we'll find out. Or, I mean, I think we kind of already, we have plenty of information to operate off of. I mean, he was a starter in 2020 and then, and it had, he's up and down in 2020. That was his first year as a starter. Then last year, he just wasn't good. He just simply wasn't. That's just flat out the situation. He just was not good. And they moved on from, he goes South Carolina. Um, but here's what else about South Carolina. I know it kind of sounds like I'm, I'm crapping on them here. And I guess maybe I am a little bit. But I actually, I've, I'm deep into, I'm, I'm well, not deep into, I'm a couple weeks into my off-season film study, going back and watching all these teams, getting ready for the Scott and the Enemy episodes, all that stuff. And I have been watching South Carolina recently. I think South Carolina is going to have a good team next year, Curtis. I do. Um, an elite team? No. I don't, don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not saying a contender. I'm, I'm not saying like, like SEC Mike, whatever his name is. I'm not saying that. But QB was the biggest issue for them last year. They had a lot of issues, but QB was a major issue. They had four different starters. Luke Doty was supposed to be the guy coming into the season. They had high expectations for him. He got hurt in fall camp, got a foot injury. They had remember Curtis, they had to start Zeb Nolan, the guy from Oconee County who was a was a grad assistant. And then they had to thrust him into the starting quarterback role. Like, hey man, you wanna you wanna play some quarterback? Here's a jersey. Here's some pads. Then Jason Brown Nolan got hurt. Then Jason Brown, who nobody knew of, then they had to move a, I guess he was a former quarterback, was playing receiver to carry on Joyner. He played a bunch in the bowl game in North Carolina. They had four different stars at quarterback. Rattler will be better than all of them. I don't think he's elite, but he'll be he'll be better than all of those guys. 
And then they also returned three of their four top pass catchers. Josh Van's a good receiver. He's a good number one. I don't think he's an elite number one, but he's a good number one. Jaheim Bell is a really athletic and talented tight end. I'm very intrigued to see what he can do this year. He's he's good, guys. He's a good player. And I mentioned to carry on Joyner, a, a kind of a slot wide receiver, a, a good dangerous player in his own right. At running back, remember the name Marshawn Lloyd, Curtis? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that was uh, a couple years ago. He was injured, I think, towards ACL in, in the fall or spring last year. Former top 50 recruit. They got a transfer from Wake Forest, Christian Beal Smith, th- to kind of back him up to be the one-two punch there. And I remember the last transfer from Wake Forest that went to uh, a Power 5 school, Kenneth Walker, Michigan State, was a Heisman Trophy contender most of last year. I'm not saying Bill Smith's going to be a Heisman Trophy contender, but he's a good player. I watched a lot of Wake Forest last year. The guy can play. They were turning 82% of the returning production on offense, Upgrade at quarterback, have a lot of experience come back on defense. I think South Carolina is going to be good. But Curtis, we talked about talent earlier. They got talent. They got some play. They've actually recruited all right, but they don't have our kind of talent. And I know we're losing some guys on defense. I get that. I think playing Oregon week one will help us kind of sharpen ourselves, sharpen our, our tools there early in the season. And uh, they have they actually have a matchup with Arkansas the week before in Fayetteville, which would be interesting. So They'll get tested Ooh, there. I didn't realize that. That's going to be a tough physical game to come back from. Absolutely. You know how Arkansas plays. Tough physical football. Yeah. And they got to come back to Columbia. So I I think South Carolina could potentially keep it close-ish for a half. And, you know, things can happen. If they keep it close for a half. I mean, if you've been in um, in their stadium before, if you've been in Williams-Brice, that place can get popping. They got a good crowd when they're kind of competitive. Or in early season, that's tough, that's the tough thing about always playing them early in the season. That place is always popping because number one, like we're outside of Clemson, we're their biggest rival. We're their biggest SEC rival. That's how they view us. And early in the season, they haven't given up. You know, if you watch their games late in the season, the the crowd's kind of like three fourths full. They're kind of lethargic. Early in the year, they still have all that hope, and they're a good fan base. They they love their team, and, and they want to they want to do their part for them and show out. And they'll show out against the defending national title, uh, defending national champion. So that might be the first three thirty game of the year. Might potentially be it's, it's week three. That could be a, a big conference game there. So I think they can keep it close ish, but I do think at the end of the day we have too much talent and we have a superior coaching staff, and I think that we will end up pulling away. And I think you're right. I think we'll end up winning by by two scores that game. Two scores. But we'll talk more about that as we get closer and closer to the season. That's fun to talk about a little bit here. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Kurt, next one here. This is from Jake. Gosh, you got a couple questions about the NFL draft here, and then we got a baseball question. Uh, Jake asks, with Travon Walker becoming the first Georgia defender to ever get drafted number one overall, does that make him the best defensive player in Georgia history? That's an interesting question, Curtis. What's your take on that? I don't think so. Maybe he could be considered most athletic defensive uh, Georgia defensive player ever. Um, but I think the biggest thing, is like, does, was he the best ever? No, because he, 
his draft stock shows that it really he was you know considered a fringe you know into the first round talent when he first decided to go pro but he blew up after the combine and I mean, do I think he's an amazing player? Yes. Do I think he could put, you know, is one of the most talented players in Georgia history at defense? Yes. But if I'm thinking the best defensive player ever, no. And I think that's because when I'm looking at the best defensive player ever, that's where I am actually going to start looking at the stats. Like they were arguing why, you know, someone like Hayden Hutchinson should have been the pick is because he had the stats. Well, that's when I'm actually looking at the best Georgia defensive players ever. I do want to see stats. And that's completely reasonable, Curtis. I think it comes down to how do you define best? Is it the most talented? Is it the most productive? Like that's a very ambiguous term. I guess it does have a definition, but you can people can interpret that different ways. And I think with with Walker, you're exactly right. He was draft number one on potential, not production. That's what it comes down to. He was very productive his last year or two in Athens based off what he was asked to do. At that position, the five technique, again, we moved him around. We talked about this before. They moved him around, did plenty of things with him. But he was, by definition, of a five tech guy. That, that was his primary position. But he just didn't have the kind of high-level production that we've seen from other defenders. Curtis, I mean, you t- you're right. Talk about, like, production in college. Walker was never – he was never an All-American. Was he ever even an All-SEC first-team guy? I actually don't believe he was. I'm looking this up right now because off the top of my head, I don't want to say he was all SEC first team this past season. I don't want. I don't think he was any of the all SEC teams, to be honest. All right, so linebacker. No, he was definitely not all SEC first team. No, he was not. Second, he wasn't second team. I do not see. Nope, 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 nope. He was not. Yeah, I don't think he was ever an all SEC player on any like yeah on any list. I don't think he was Curtis. And again, that's not a shot at, at, at my man Walker. I'm excited for him. I'm pumped for him. And he was really good for us. Like, in terms of freakish athletes, maybe one of the most freakish athletes we've ever had at Georgia. I think that's fair. Talent, potential, ceiling, sure. But best, I tend to go on the side of like greatest when I hear best. You know what I mean? Like, I defer to that. Like, I'm with you, like more production. I mean, Curtis, David Paul was yeah, a great I'm, like, if, if I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking of David Pollock. Um, Jarvis Jones, people that like, yeah, that changed the game when they were here defensively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Walker could be a game changer. We just, and we just use him in a different ways, a different defense, different scheme, different time, facing different kind of offenses. But when you're going to a guy like David Paul, who was a three-time All-American, former SEC Defensive Player of the Year, I mean, it's, it's no contest in terms of like what I, what I define as best player. I mean, again, I would say champ. Would be a better player in college, you know, playing two ways. Jarvis Jones, Curtis, you mentioned him, right? Like he was more impactful, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, was he was a better player defensively. What about Roquan Smith? Yeah, I mean, he's a Buckus War winner. I mean, you think uh, yeah. even the Kobe Dean was probably the actual best. You know, him and Jordan Davis were the actual best players on the defense last year. I mean, you had to get Trayvon Walker stats. The argument when Nicobe Dean got drafted in the third round and Trayvon Walker goes number one, how can you possibly say Nicobe Dean was a better player? Obviously, the NFL draft guys and the, and the GMs didn't think that. I say that because if you, you listen to all those coaches speaking, um, a lot of them talked about the fact that they were shocked he fell because he was the best player on the defense. And that's the ones you have to take into yeah. account, the ones you have to game plan against him and figure out how to face him. And I will say our defense is built for the inside linebackers to be the star. So that helps. Yeah. 
that certainly helps. But I, I, it's look, t- like when you talk about best, I think talent is a part of it, but I think it's a talent is the means to an end. The end is the production. The talent helps you produce and become great and become the quote unquote best player. So I, I see where someone might say that, yeah, well, he was number one overall draft pick. The only, only number one overall draft pick from the defense side of the ball in Georgia history. So yeah, he's got to be the best player on that side of the ball ever at Georgia. And I would just respectfully say, great player, love him, appreciate everything he ever did. But I would, I mean, there's probably five players at the top of my head I could say that I would like instantly put above Walker in terms of like best players in, in Georgia defensive history. And I think David Pollock would be at the top of that list for me. So yeah, I mean, great player. I just, uh, I'm with you, man. I don't, I don't think I can go that far. I'm, I'm pumped they got drafted number one though. And I hope he has a hell of a career. I really do, but I can't go quite that far. Can't go quite that far. All right, one more draft question here, Curtis. Then we got a baseball question we want to get to here. This, uh, this question is from Chris. Thank you, Chris. And Chris says, it was awesome seeing all those dogs get drafted in the first round, but which one of those 15 players will we miss the most next season? It's another interesting question, Kurt. Where are you going to go with that one? I'm going to go no question. I believe Jordan Davis. Um, well, we'll miss the inside line. That's who I've got. All right, tell me why. I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I believe you can go with Nakobe, but I mean, the thing is, there's three of those inside linebackers. I think we'll miss all three of them right now because I don't, we have to see, you know, some people step up. But the fact is, even if you don't have amazing inside linebacker play, that's, that Jordan Davis at the nose can mask a lot of those deficiencies. And as we've said many times, he was the key to our dominant rush defense, which was the key to our overall defense success, in my opinion. So that's a very strong answer, Curtis. So, that's where I was going to go. You stole him from me. How dare you, sir? But uh, you know what? I'm going to, just for argument's sake here, so we have a little bit of a different answer, just for entertainment purposes here for our, our wonderful listeners, I'm going to try to make an argument for somebody else. You mentioned Nakobe. I'll make the argument for Nakobe. okay? Here's my argument for Nakobe. Nakobe was the clear leader of that defense. He was the captain, the quarterback of that defense. He was the most respected player in that defense, at least from the outside looking in. And we, yes, you're right. We are losing all three of our top linebackers this this season, but we have no one there, Curtis. Like no one with any experience. I think we have really talented players, but no one with any experience. At least on the defensive line, you have Jalen Carter. Like he's a different player and, and does things a little bit differently. He dominates in his own way, a different way than Jordan Davis dominates. But at least you have that piece there on the line of scrimmage. We, I hope that we have that piece there. We just don't have anyone that's proven they're the piece at inside linebacker. So you factor all that in, the captain of your defense, the leader of the defense, the guy was an outstanding player in his own right. I, I'm going to very tentatively make the argument that it's Nick OBD, but I really think it's Jordan Davis. I'm with you on that. Uh, all right, good question there. All right, Kurt, I think this is the last one. Man. I think it's the last one we're going to have time to get to today. This is from Derek. It's a baseball question. We're going football heavy today, but we'll end on a baseball question. Curtis, we are uh, nearing the end of this regular season. We have two weekend series left in the SEC before the SEC tournament and postseason play starts. Derek asks, what is Georgia baseball's postseason ceiling? Is this the year Strickland finally leads us out of a regional? I don't believe it was. If you asked me at the beginning of the season, I would have, or even you know a couple weeks ago. But the pitching has just... It's it's terrible. Um, it's it, there's terrible no other way to say except our. It has been, but it's the 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 thing is the bullpen has just gotten so so bad. You, you they cannot get, get people better. out. They cannot get yeah. people out. See Jaden Wood. Think about him. Like 
that's why I said if you asked me earlier, no, because he was really good to start the year, but he's lost all confidence in his off-speed pitch, and he has just been absolutely ravaged in SEC play. And, you know, Garrett Brown. Yes, he's got two pitches he's confident in. Two pitches, and that's Mm -hmm. it. He's got a great fastball, but when you're playing SEC offenses, playing SEC teams, they can time that fastball up, and you're seeing that he's just getting rocked right now. Yep. Yeah, and that's and that's that's what's going on with him, and it's just it's as simple as the the offense or the the pitching because you know especially getting the tape the tape back, you know we're having some guys are cold. Corey Collins is really struggling at the plate right now. He's hitting under two hundred in SEC play right now, Curtis, or right around two hundred. Either way, not good. He has really struggled once SEC play has started, and that's a shame because he was our best hitter leading up to it for the most part. But yeah, right now it's just. We don't have the pitching to do it. Outside Jonathan Cannon, who is the last two times out, has kind of struggled a little bit for his standards. I mean, Liam Sullivan can't get out of the fifth inning, it feels like, recently. I mean, Nolan Chris has actually been a nice surprise lately. Nolan's been fantastic as a Friday starter. Yeah, he's actually been a great great. number two for us, realistically. Um, He's given us chances to win just about every time out. Yeah, he has. We just don't have the pitching. Um, we've had too many arm injuries, and we've had too many guys that aren't taking the next step and getting better. Now, Dylan Rakos, I believe is how you say his name. Now, Rokos, he has from Mississippi he, State, yeah. Yeah, he started the year terrible. He has gotten better. But some of these young guys like Garrett Brown, Jaden Wood, a lot of these guys have started struggling instead of getting better. Chandler Marsh, I mean, he gave up some runs this past weekend. But I think it was almost a month or so before since he'd given up any runs. He's come on yeah. as a young Jack pitcher. Jack Gowan has pitched lights out in the bullpen. Yeah, Gowan's been fantastic. He's been the, the one saving grace. But the fact game. is, we haven't been able to get him the ball enough, you know, in that situation. Yeah, yeah it's a problem. So, yeah, man, you're exactly right. You're, you're nailing this. It's so weird, Curtis, because the, in years past, when we've had some success and gone to regionals and hosted regionals, and been national seeds. We were national seeds two years in a row. And no, we did not get out of the regional. But those teams were all led by pitching. It was the offense. Like, can we get enough hits? Can we score enough runs? And this year, the offense has been great. I mean, we're third in batting average in the, in the SEC, second in hits. We're sixth in the SEC in runs score, but we're only six runs out of third place there. So we're really close. The offense has been fantastic. It's the pitching. It's the inverse. The pitching has been – and really the bullpen. Well, realistically, been- the biggest – the biggest thing is the thing you can't account for is the arm injuries to the big guys. Um, the Sunday yeah. starter, I believe, Dylan Ross, yep. making one start. Um, and the it's things like that that have killed. Because the thing is, if they had stayed healthy, then you know that would this wouldn't be what we're saying. And Chris was in the bullpen at all. Yeah, yeah. And Chris I was mean, in the bullpen. This, like, yeah. this is not a a t- talking point at all. We actually are saying like, hey. You know, outside of Tennessee, we may be the second best team in the SEC, but we can't say that because our pitching has just let us down. It's a, a crux of that has been the arm injuries coupled with, like I said, some of these younger guys struggling. Yeah, and that's why I don't, I don't put this on Scott Strickland. I know the question. I mean, I think it, it sounds like it's. I mean, it, it's hard. It's I'm not blaming Scott Strickland. It's a little disappointing to see some of these pitchers struggle this much. But I mean, they've tried every single combo they can. They tried kids and yeah. different. You know, starting the starting roles out of the bullpen, yep. trying to get someone something to click. I mean, they tried every comp, uh, combination they can. Um, so yeah. I'm not. I don't think it's all him. I think you do have to talk about the coaches, but I because the kids are getting better. But at the same time, they've tried everything they can. So, if, like in game coaching, I don't think is the problem. No, not at all. And, and, and you can put it on him and say, well, you know, he he recruited these players. It's his roster, and that's fair. But as you said, Curtis. This is not how it was supposed to look. Nolan Chris is not supposed to be a starter for us. You know, we were supposed to have a little bit more depth in the back end. And I guess ultimately the buck 
rest with the, with the coach. That's fair. I, I get that. But honestly, I think it's borderline miraculous that we're even like remotely in the conversation to host a regional with the injuries that we've suffered this year. Like, I think it's like, oh, and that's with miraculous. Jonathan Canning missing like three weeks yeah. also. Yeah, absolutely. But you're right, man. It's pitching. And like, you have to have pitching to win anything in the postseason. Our bullpen ERA, Curtis, I did, and now this is my very rough numbers. I crunch numbers myself. We are, as a team, we're 13th in the SEC out of 14 teams in team ERA, 5.5 uh, team ERA. Our bullpen ERA, Curtis, is 6.38. 6.38. This isn't Little League. You cannot win in the college baseball postseason with bullpen numbers like that. You just can't. It's that simple. Yeah. It's that simple. I mean, we're... We're 14th in the ACC in walks allowed. We get up 237 walks, which is like one, literally, guys, one fewer walks than twice as many as Tennessee's given up. They're number one in the league in, in walks allowed. It's just, it's it's hard to watch at this point, Curtis. Like, I, I put myself through it, but it's, when we get to the bullpen, it's over. It's over. It's done. I mean, Friday night, this past Friday against, um, against Vanderbilt was just heart-wrenching. We kept fighting back on offense. We kept trying to come back. And gave ourselves chances to win, putting runs on the board, but the bullpen just kept blowing it, man. Just kept blowing it. So, I um, I'm not overly confident, Curtis. Are you? To sum it up, no, because the bullpen, no. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I am. But hey, you know, we'll do what we do. We'll keep watching. We'll keep supporting, and hope to God somehow we can catch fire and put something together. Because the fact is, we do have a good team. We have good players. I mean, Jonathan Cannon is a future first-round draft pick as our number one pitcher. I mean, he hasn't. You're right, Curse. He hasn't been as sharp the past two starts. But it was just a couple weeks ago where he had a perfect game through five innings. We had to take him out. The Tate brothers have been really good. Parks Harbors raised his batting average about 85 points over the past four or five weeks. And it's really become the most consistent hitter on the team. You mentioned Jack Gowan as our closer. He's been fantastic when we've had an opportunity to give him the ball, but we just haven't really had enough opportunities. We haven't been able to, to get to him. But hey, look, we've got a road series against number one Tennessee this weekend. They have been historically good. Like I, I don't use that word lightly, guys. Throughout this season, they've been historically good in the SEC. So it's clearly going to be a very tough series. But man... How awesome would it be to go to Rocky Top and win that series? So even though my faith might not be that high when it comes to the postseason for this particular Georgia baseball team, I'm still going to root for them, man. I'm still going to tune in. I'm still going to watch. I'm still going to sit here and bark in my living room and hope to God they, they end up proving me wrong. But all right, guys, that's all the questions we've got today. Thank you guys for listening. We do always appreciate that. I will be back later on this week. As promised last week, on Thursday, I will be back with what will probably be our final basketball-themed episode all the way up until the start of next season. But Mike White and company have been working tirelessly to build this roster, and I think they've done one hell of a job. So I want to get on here and recap what this roster looks like right now. Obviously, we had a mass exodus of players, but we've got a strong influx of talent, and I am very intrigued about what this team might be able to do in the 2022-2023 basketball season. So I will have that covered for you guys later on this week. Keep the questions coming, guys. We are going to be running mailbag episodes all throughout the rest of the offseason, all through the summer. So anytime anything comes to your mind, you don't have to wait for us to put the call out on social media. Just shoot them our way, at glory underscore UGA. You can 
Email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. Just look for the Glory UGA page, and you can DM us there. Our DMs are open. Love to hear from you guys, and we love to feature your questions here on the show. But thank you again for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.